And our sermon text this morning will be from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, well, I'll read from verse 13 into chapter 5, verse 11. Um, you can find that on page 987 of your pew Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation." For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. We thank you that your word discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And Lord, we confess that no creature is hidden from your sight, but all are uh, naked and exposed to your eyes. And to you, Lord, we must give an account. And so, Lord, uh, would you use your, your word, Lord, to pierce our hearts this day, Lord, that we might know you more, that we might uh, Lord, have joy at, at your second coming, at your return, Father, that um, Christ uh, would have his rightful place in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would use the preaching of your word this morning, Lord, to, to do your will in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul and Silas and Timothy, the, the writers of this letter to the Thessalonians, uh, do not want their brothers and sisters to be uninformed. Uh, Paul uses this phrase in a few other letters to indicate that he's presenting some new information to his hearers. And uh, Paul and Silas have addressed this return of the Lord, the idea of the second coming of Christ, uh, in their short stay with the Thessalonians. 
but then they were shortly after that run out of town. So they are in this letter uh, filling in the details and giving some greater depth and responding to some questions and concerns that the Thessalonians had about how all of this would work out, and especially for those who had died before Christ returned. And I'll preface our message today with, with, with this. Uh, there are things that the Lord has revealed to us in his word, and there are other things that remain yet a mystery. Uh, we can easily read into this text uh, what's not really there. We could twist scripture to fit our favorite eschatology or, or view of the end times. But uh, better, um, we should hold on to the sure promises of God which are given to us in his word, and we should look forward and prepare ourselves for the glorious events of his return uh, with the understanding that we can't know more than what God has revealed. And so this morning we'll look at three aspects of the apostles' teaching on the return of Christ. First, um, the end of chapter 4 in verses 13 through 18, we'll look at resurrection teaching on the bodily resurrection of believers who have died. Then in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, we'll look at reality teaching on the fact that we cannot know uh, when Christ will return. And third, readiness teaching in chapter 5, verses 4 through 11, on how Christians must live lives that make us ready to meet the Lord when he comes. So we'll begin uh, chapter 4, verse 13 with resurrection teaching. In this section, the key idea is that uh, those who have died in the Lord before he has uh, returned again, will not miss out on the glory of the second coming of Jesus. Uh, so we need not sorrow for our loved ones who, are, who have died, at least not for that reason. Um, those who have died in Christ will be raised first and will be present for the return of our Savior. And by the same token, when we are on our own deathbeds, uh, we need not mourn that we ourselves will miss out on something, uh, one of the events of the second coming. This is yet another reason why we need not fear death. And so knowing the crux of the argument, let's look more closely at what's taught regarding Jesus' return. Um, Paul and Silas and Timothy want to inform the Thessalonians about this matter so that in verse 13, they may not grieve as others who have no hope. This command is a double negative, to not grieve as others who have no hope. So stated positively, it would sound like this. Uh, We are to grieve as those who do have hope. Um, They're not saying that Christians should not grieve, Um, Jesus himself wept at the death of Lazarus. Uh, They're saying that Christians shouldn't grieve in the same way that unbelievers grieve. They're not, um, sorry, Christians have hope, uh, even in our grief and mourning at the death of our loved ones. Uh, We should remember that the biblical definition of hope is not quite the same as our English definition. We say things like, I hope the saints beat the Packers today. And as we know with the saints, there's always uh, some level of doubt or uncertainty. Um, But the biblical definition of hope is a sure foundation upon which we base our lives. God always keeps his promises, and so we have confident assurance of our hope. And so we grieve as Christians with hope, assured that God keeps his promises. And what follows in verse 14 is the basis for this hope. He says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Uh, Jesus' death and resurrection is the foundation for our hope. In our own resurrection, that we will one day receive the imperishable heavenly bodies in which we can live and worship the Lord for eternity. It's also in Jesus' death and resurrection that we have hope that our loved ones who believe in the Lord Jesus uh, will receive all of the benefits and will behold all of the majesty of glorification. Dr. Leon Morris says, Our Christian confidence rests on a sure historical foundation, 
not speculation or myth. Jesus Christ, truly man and truly God, really lived 2,000 years ago. He did many mighty works and wonders and signs, and he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God to be crucified and killed on the cross for our sake. He endured the wrath of God and the penalty of our sin, dying the death that we deserve so that by grace and through faith we can have Christ's righteousness and have eternal life through him. And we have the additional assurance and guarantee that Jesus himself rose again from the dead after three days as the first fruits of the resurrection, as the firstborn among many brothers. Our Savior lives and ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And as we read today, he will return to gather all those who trust in him, uh, both those who have fallen asleep and those who have remained alive. We'll, we'll talk later about how to be ready for his return in, in chapter 5, but the first step is to repent, to confess your sin, to turn from it, and to believe and place your faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and receive his Holy Spirit. If there's anyone here who needs to know more about what it means to believe that Jesus died and rose again, that we could have eternal life, I invite you to talk to me or any of the elders after the service. We'd be happy to help you to answer any questions you have and to pray with you. So at this point in verse 14, um, Paul and Silas and Timothy begin their description of what will happen when Jesus returns. Uh, we learn what we can expect. First, the Lord will return, bringing with him those asleep in Christ. Uh, the, the Thessalonians' fear was that the Thessalonian believers who had died would miss out on the glorious events of that day. But we're assured here that when Jesus returns, he will bring with him the souls of those who have fallen asleep. Um, Paul and Silas and Timothy approached the idea of believers' death carefully, uh, using the term asleep for a euphemism for death. Um, using asleep to mean death is common in, in many religions, but it's nowhere more appropriate than for Christian death. Uh, for pagans, it's often seen as an eternal sleep. The Roman poet uh, Catullus wrote in the first century B.C., uh, Suns may set and rise again, but we, when once our brief light goes down, must sleep an endless night. However, for the Christian, we know that at death, our physical bodies will rest in the grave until the day of the Lord, uh, when our bodies will be raised again and we will have glorified, imperishable bodies in fact, our, the word we use for cemetery uh, has its roots in a Greek word uh, meaning a sleeping place. And we speak of the process of burial as, as laying someone to rest. Uh, the death of believers is, is simply sleep. It's a temporary state for the physical body. But in Paul and Silas and Timothy's description of Jesus' death, they simply said Jesus died. Uh, Jesus endured the, the full weight and the power of death. He endured the worst that death can possibly be. And because he endured the horror of death, there is no horror of death for his saints. And all who believe and are God's elect will certainly live because Jesus rose again and lives forever. And our union with him is stronger than death. There is an unbiblical idea of, of soul sleep, that somehow our souls unconsciously await Christ's return. Uh, this is the view that Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Seventh-day Adventists generally take. Uh, but Paul is very clear in other places in Scripture that our souls go to be with the Lord immediately upon death. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23 say this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So Paul has no fear or reservation about dying because he knows that his soul will be with Christ, a much better situation than the trials he endured in the body. And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, uh, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So in 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5, we should understand the sleep metaphor to refer to our physical bodies only. Our souls will be present with the Lord when our bodies die. Our physical bodies will sleep until the glorification on the last day when our souls will be reunited with our resurrected bodies. And moving on to verse 15, Paul and Silas and Timothy share a word from the Lord. Um, What they share here is not recorded in any of the gospel accounts, though uh, even one gospel writer himself stated, now there are many other things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's John chapter 21, verse 25. So the teaching that Paul and Silas and Timothy present here could be something Jesus taught during his earthly ministry but was not recorded elsewhere. Or it could be that Paul and Silas and Timothy received some special revelation from the Lord. In any case, what they teach here is not speculation of what they think might happen. It's information directly from the Lord himself. And so it carries the authority of Scripture, as do all of Paul's letters, which are recorded in the biblical canon. And as an aside, this is yet more evidence that uh, the acceptance of of Paul's writings as as Scripture um, is, is a good thing, that it is the very word of God. And what is this word from the Lord that they received? Verse 15, that those alive when Christ returns will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And also verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. Um, Those who have died will not be absent for the events of the day of the Lord. They will, in fact, be the first to receive their imperishable glorified bodies free from sin. Um, This will not be a secret rapture, as some have proposed. No, it will come with great announcement. Verse 16, uh, we, will, we will not be left wondering, hmm, could this be the day of the Lord? Uh, no, there will be no mistaking. Uh, first, verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. This will be a, a personal return of the resurrected Christ. Uh, the men in white robes at Jesus' ascension into heaven said that he will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Uh, Jesus himself will, will return to earth personally to call the dead in Christ from their graves and to gather the saints still alive together with them. And his return will be accompanied by three sounds. First, a cry of command, probably from the Lord himself. It could be that this cry of command is what raises the dead. Uh, John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29 say, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The second sound is the voice of an archangel. We can't be sure exactly what this entails, but it indicates that Christ will be accompanied by a great heavenly host in his return. And third, the sound of the trumpet of God. In the Old Testament, the trumpet sounded the alarm for war and and called assemblies of God's people. Uh, The trumpet blast on the last day will be to gather in his elect from all the corners of the earth to meet the Lord in the air. 
Uh, Dr. Leon Morris says this is a fitting part of the pageantry, stressing the majesty of the Lord and the greatness of that day. And those Christians still alive for the day of judgment will be, verse 17, caught up together with them. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verses 51 and 52, give us some additional information about this. They say, uh, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. And also, they will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. This is encouraging. We and all who trust in Christ will always be with the Lord. We, we take for, um, for a truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, as Romans tells us. We cannot be separated from his presence. Uh, no one can pluck us from his hand, not even ourselves. Uh, Dr. Warren Wearsby tells of the story. Um, he had a, a friend whose wife had died, and he said to this man, I'm so sorry that you lost your wife. And this man told him, you haven't lost something when you know where it is. I know exactly where she is. Uh, This man had confidence that his wife was present with the Lord, that though her body was in the grave, uh, her soul was in the presence of her Savior. And and Jesus would bring her with him when he returns, and he would be uh, caught up together with her and all the saints in the clouds to meet the Lord. And they would always be with the Lord. What a comfort and encouragement this is. And we can be encouraged Uh, Not only for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in the Lord who have died. We can have confidence that uh, we will meet the Lord with them on that great day. And we will always be with the Lord. Moving into chapter 5, the the reality of of Jesus' return. Uh, The key idea here is we don't know the time or the day or the season uh, when the Lord will come. Um, The world, for sure, will be caught by surprise. Uh, verse 1, concerning times and seasons. Um, Paul and Silas had already covered this information with them during their ministry in Thessalonica. Um, Jesus, some of Jesus' last words uh, to his disciples before his ascension are recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He says, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Yet Jesus criticized the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they could not interpret the signs of the times. We know today we are in the last days, and and Jesus' return is imminent. And all around us are reminders and signs that judgment is coming soon, and we are called as Christians to be ready. Um, Verse 2 in chapter 5 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Uh, Morris points out the irony. The, The Thessalonians are fully aware that no one is aware uh, when the Lord will come. Uh, We just read in the previous verses how the day of the Lord will come with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and yet it will come at a time when the world least expects it. While the day of the Lord will be glorious for the believer, uh, the same will not be true for those who do not trust in Christ. They will be unaware and deceived, as verse 3 tells us, thinking there is peace and security while their destruction is imminent. The real threat here is not horizontal, but, but vertical, from God himself. Um, it's compared to a woman's labor pains, first in its unpredictability. Um, yet, as Christians, we know that the day is coming, just as a pregnant mother knows that 
She's going to give birth soon and look forward, looks forward to that day. Uh, most mothers endure much suffering during their pregnancy. You know, body aches, morning sickness, fatigue, sleep problems, appetite changes, heartburn, swelling. Uh, so they look forward to giving birth, not only to meet the child that, that she's cared for in the womb, but also uh, to hopefully be done with some of the discomforts of pregnancy. And similarly, uh, we look forward to the day of judgment that we know is coming. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. So while we endure our present condition of sin and suffering, uh, we groan in pain with all creation. Yet we know that joy comes in the morning. Soon the second coming of Christ will give birth to the joy of being in the presence of the Lord, the glory of the resurrection, and the complete fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people. But we don't know when those things will occur, and so we should be ready. And also for a pregnant woman, her labor is inescapable. A pregnant woman can't carry the baby forever. She must give birth at some point. And similarly, <clears throat> similarly, sudden destruction will come upon the unbeliever. There will be no escaping judgment for the reprobate, both those who are alive and those who are dead. So while the day of the Lord is a glorious occasion for the believer, it will not be so for those who do not trust in Christ. Uh, this should motivate us to devote ourselves to evangelism. If we truly love our neighbor as ourselves, there should be no greater desire than to ensure our neighbors do not endure eternal suffering and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, God's word assures us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Romans 10:14 uh, tells us that we have a role in this. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Christians, we need to preach the gospel to our unbelieving friends and family and neighbors. Um, James 5 verse 20 says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In God's good pleasure, uh, he may use you to bring a sinner to repentance and to save his soul from eternal death. Uh, we need only be faithful to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so moving into verses 4 through 11 of chapter 5, uh, we learn how to be ready for the day of the Lord. Uh, the key idea here, we have no need to be alarmed. Uh, we will not endure God's wrath, but we'll be saved in Christ. Uh, but we must be ready for that day of the Lord. In this last section, we see two types of people. We see children of the night or children of darkness and children of the day or children of the light. And uh, I'll just address each of them separately. First, we'll address the, the children of the night or darkness. Um, first, it tells us that they are asleep and drunk. Uh, because they are children of the night, they do the things that are typical at night, sleeping and, and drinking. Uh, sleep here is used as a metaphor again, but it's actually a different Greek word. <clears throat> this sleep refers to the lack of consciousness that unbelievers have for their situation. Uh, they have a blissful ignorance of the God of all creation who is holy and requires obedience from his creatures. Second, they ignore the reality of their sinful condition 
preferring to wallow in drunkenness and sleep rather than face the reality of their sin. And finally, they're unaware of the judgment that they will soon be subject to. Verse 4, it says, The coming of the day of the Lord will be a surprise to these people, like a thief in the night. John Calvin says, The coming of Christ will take by surprise those who are carelessly giving way to indulgence, because being enveloped in darkness, they see nothing, for the darkness is more dense than ignorance of God. They will be completely unprepared for the Lord's coming, with no hope because they have no Savior. And verse 9, these drunken people and asleep people are destined for wrath. Uh, This is the destiny of the reprobate, wrath and eternal judgment in hell. This is where each of us deserves to be as well, save the cleansing blood of Christ on our behalf, Uh, save the regenerating of the Holy Spirit that allows us to see the depth of our sin and our need for a Savior uh, and the grace of God and using his word to reveal that Savior to us. But as adopted children, we are now children of the light and children of the day. And so we as Christians live differently than those still in darkness. First, we have an awareness of the coming day of the Lord. Verse 4, we should not be surprised by it when it comes. Uh, For the unbeliever, the day of the Lord brings only wrath and judgment. But for the Christian, the day of the Lord is a joyous occasion of entering God's presence and gaining a glorified and sinless body. And so we look forward to that great day of the Lord with eager anticipation and, and without fear. And second, since we are of the day, uh, we are awake, we are sober. Verse 6, we are not characterized by the kind of conduct which takes place at night. To be awake denotes watchfulness and alertness and looking to the Lord with an attentive mind. To be sober, John Calvin says, we use the world so sparingly and temperately that we are not entangled with its allurements. We cast away the cares of the world that weigh us down and look forward to the freedom of heaven. And third, as children of the light, we soberly equip ourselves as Christian soldiers with the armor we need to defend ourselves from the attacks of Satan and the the temptations of the world. In verse 8, the details of the armor have some slight differences compared to uh, what we read in Ephesians chapter 6, but the key ideas and the principles are the same. We have uh, a breastplate of faith and love, The breastplate of the armor covers the vital organs. No soldier would ever go to battle without his breastplate, and no Christian can live by the Spirit without faith and love. And for the helmet is the hope of salvation. The helmet protects the head, which is also vital to life. As I mentioned earlier, the Christian hope is a confident expectation of God's saving work in Christ, and that it will be carried on to completion at the last day. And just as soldiers must remain ready for battle, so we should remain alert to ward off our enemy and the allurements of the world and even the sinful nature that remains in our flesh. Finally, in verse 10, we have the assurance that we are not destined for wrath like the children of darkness. Instead, Jesus Christ has already obtained salvation for us by dying for us. Our salvation proceeds from God's will and from Christ's completed work on the cross. And so whether we die physically or remain alive for his return, uh, we will live with him forever, and we will always be with the Lord. Romans 14.10 assures us, "For, For to this end Christ died and lived again, 
that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Death will have no victory over those who trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, the, The believer is in Christ, and not even death can separate us from our Savior. So Hope Church, just as Paul and Silas and Timothy encouraged the Thessalonians to use this teaching to encourage each other and to build one another up in verse 10, um, so, me, so we must do as well. D. Edmund Hebert says, It is clear that in the primitive churches the care of souls was not delegated to an individual officer or even the more gifted brethren among them. It was a work in which every believer might have a share. Brothers and sisters, this is our ministry to one another, to encourage and to build up. Uh, We can remind each other that Jesus is coming again. Uh, We can comfort one another as our loved ones have fallen asleep in the Lord, that we will be caught up together with them as we meet the Lord at his return. Uh, We can hold each other accountable for being ready for that return. And we can preach the gospel that Jesus died and rose again so that whether our bodies are living or dead when he returns, we will live with him. And we will always be with the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you help us, Lord, to live lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, that we would have hope ourselves and even hope for our loved ones. Lord, of the resurrection that is coming at the last day, Father. Help us, Lord, to live in expectation of your return, to be ready, Lord, for that day. Lord, we praise you that we are not destined for wrath, but instead for salvation through Jesus Christ who died for us so that we might live with him for eternity. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.